0: The scripture reading today is from the book of Esther, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their de- destruction, that he might show to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for the people. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying... All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come in to take into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews, for if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your families and your father's family will perish. Who knows perhaps you have come to the royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, "Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Dottie, and let's pray. Almighty God, continue to send your spirit among us, to speak to us and to surprise us, to grab hold of our lives in places that go deep. Speak now, O Lord, through these words I'm about to offer that through your presence and power they might be your word to us. And that we might receive it we pray this in jesus precious name amen well this morning scripture is not a typical advent text is it it's not a story of john the baptist eating locusts and wild honey and shouting out repent the kingdom of heaven is near It's not from the prophet Isaiah talking about how the wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. It doesn't speak of the virgin who shall conceive and bear a son and how they'll name him Emmanuel. It's none of those. It's from the book of Esther of all things. No church that I know of ever did a Christmas pageant based on the book of Esther with all the children dressed in bathrobes, playing the various parts. Yet if we give God half a chance this morning, we just might discover that this scripture has a great deal to do with Advent. It has a great deal to do with preparing our hearts and our lives to welcome Christ anew. If you've never read the book of Esther, I encourage you to find an hour sometime in the week ahead and and read it or reread it. There's a lot going on here, and being able to see it all in print and read and reflect on it at our own pace might enrich our encounter with this text. At the time of this writing, the people of Israel are exiled in Babylon, and they no longer live in their own land or rule their own lives, but instead have been captured and forced to live outside of their homeland and to embrace customs that are not their own. Esther is an orphan and Jewish and through a long and unexpected course of events becomes queen to the king. Yet few people outside of Esther's inner circle know that she's Jewish. If they did, this would of course dramatically compromise her role on the Persian royal court, and the climax of the story is when Esther chooses to act to save the Jewish people, her people, from death, putting at risk her own physical safety, the comforts and power of her position, her very life, she acts. The king had just drafted a law which would condemn all of Jews to death in order to talk to the king about what he was doing and guide him to a different choice. Esther would have to take a life or death chance because a person could only talk to the king inside the inner court if he wished it, if the king initiated it. Otherwise the person would be executed for trying to talk to the king. At first, she's hesitant. Mordecai calls upon her to act on behalf of her people. We can imagine her saying something like, who, me? I don't have the power or the authority. I'm just an orphan Jew who doesn't even belong on the court, faking my way through every day. Can't some passionate prophet step up and do it? Or maybe one of Yahweh's priests. It's clear that she has never thought of herself as having the agency to affect change or to make a difference. Mordecai makes a case to her that she must step into this particular historical moment. Her personal history intersects with the Jews' corporate history at this particular time in this particular place. In fact, says Old Mordecai, maybe her personal history has led her precisely to this moment for such a time as this, because as a Jewish woman who was also Queen Esther, she is in a unique position to save her people. And by God's grace, that's exactly what she does. Fast forward to 2022, what I wonder is, how does your particular story and history intersect with this particular historical moment, this one right now? How is God calling you to uniquely live out your faith being precisely who God created you to be with the unique experiences and identity that you bring and impact the world on God's behalf here and now. Our world overflows with so much need. I don't know if there's ever been a time of greater political division and discord and polarization A time of such frighteningly high rates of teen depression and suicide. A time when so many people feel alone and disconnected. The role of religion in the church is uncertain. The health of our planet is in peril. Economic worries and societal change surround us and the change keeps coming at us at a greater rate of speed. In this moment in history, in this corner of God's creation, for such a time as this, what does it look like for you to hold fast to the promises of God and to respond with enthusiasm to the call of God in a way that only you can? For such a time as this, what are the words that God is calling you to speak, the stand God is calling you to take, the acts of love God is calling you to live out because of precisely who you are? Many years ago, during a a, a different time, a, a different moment, We had a gifted seminary student serve at our church for a year, working with the senior highs, helping to lead worship, serving and learning in a wide variety of ways. His name was Graham Robinson. It was a difficult year. The youth were mourning the loss, the the departure of a beloved youth pastor. There had been some particularly painful and tragic deaths in our church family. There was a somberness, a seriousness, that the people felt. But the thing was, Graham was anything but somber. Oh, he had all kinds of spiritual substance and death, but he was anything but serious. Whenever he would walk into the room, the measure of enthusiasm and delight in that room would instantly increase. I was not on staff at the time, but I knew Graham, we were friends, and years later, long after he'd finished his time at Basking Ridge, our paths crossed, and we got to talking about this church that we both loved and about his year serving here. And in his humble way, with his beaming smile, he said, you know, Dennis, I'm not the greatest preacher or strongest biblical scholar that church has ever seen, that's for sure. But that year, they just needed someone to love them. Someone to help them to smile and laugh again and have some fun. Someone to remind them that a a brighter future was ahead, to remind them that God was still present. And of course, he was right. And his unique gifts and story and identity allowed him to be used by God in that particular moment to bless that particular group of people in exactly the way God intended. I think of two incredibly gifted members of our extended Basking Ridge community, Jody D'Agostini and Andy Williams. I'm sure some of you know them. Over these past 10 years, they founded a grassroots organization called Community in Crisis, a group with the mission of responding to the growing opioid epidemic and growing number of teenage and young adult deaths that are related to it. They'd been personally affected by that brutal epidemic. Families they knew and loved had been impacted. They were parents who dearly loved their own precious children. One of them was a financial advisor, so she had all kinds of connections to those with a high capacity to generously give. The other had strong connections in the school system and with the health department. They both were respected by an enormous number of people. They were among the most articulate and effective communicators I know and so they leveraged those gifts and relationships to make a profound difference and they continue to the need is still great the opioid crisis is still underway and their ministry continues to grow and have an even further reach just like Esther they stepped into the particular historical moment within which they lived, bringing to bear their own history and identity to make a profound difference. In his book book entitled Wishful Thinking, Frederick Buechner says that every Christian is called to find that place where the world's great need and their great joy and sense of purpose come together. He says if you're working in a leper colony but go home every night miserable, you're meeting the first criteria but probably not meeting the second. On the other hand, he says, if you spend your days writing TV deodorant commercials and you love it, you have met the second criteria but might be failing to meet the other one. That place where the world's great need and our sense of purpose and joy with the unique history and identity God gives us, where they come together, that, Beekner says, is where God calls us. The poet William Blake wrote, we're set on earth a while to learn to bear the beams of love. In our church our community our world what beams of love is god calling us to bring to the hurt and the need the fear and the disconnection in this time and in this place how is god calling us to make a difference how is god calling us to be the church how is god calling us to bear witness to his great love And the question, of course, applies to us collectively as a community of faith, a church. And it also applies to us as individuals and as families. What risk is God calling you to take for the sake of God's kingdom, for the sake of his people, for the sake of this hurting world? Like Esther, what risky step of faith is God calling you to take? How does your unique story and history intersect with this moment in our world's history? And because of that, what is the difference God is calling you to make? Not me, not the other person next to you in the pew. What difference is God calling you to make? And maybe what God has in mind for you is something small. Or maybe it's incredibly big. Either way, the world needs you. Either way, God has prepared and equipped you. Either way, God is calling you. For such a time as this, not last year, not 25 years ago, we can't go back in time. We can't remake some prior decision. We can't see some prior moment that has passed. And I'm not talking about next year, or when the kids go off to college, or when you're retired or some other future moment. The grace-filled moment, the possibility-filled moment is today, here and now. That is always where we are after all, here and now, with the experiences and the history and the identity that we bring. And so, Friends, on this second Sunday of Advent in December of 2022, who is God calling you to be and what is God calling you to do that this world might more fully reflect God's love and God's light? What is God's call upon your life for such a time as this?